0: It's amazing the power of conversation and how it can change nation-states in terms of the priorities and the policies that they pursue. By the 17th and 18th century, stories were coming back to Europe about the treatment of blacks, Indians, indigenous peoples in the Americas. And there were growing numbers of people inside European countries calling for individual rights and freedoms to be enshrined into law. In the 1770s, the Founding Fathers in the United States of America put together the United States Constitution, which, in many ways, it emboldened the individual. It empowered the individual. It made sure that the individual was protected above all else. Heck, even the President, the President of the United States, their powers were checked by Congress and Senate specifically. That there was no chance that the president could enact authoritative, dictatorial power. The founding fathers of the Constitution wanted to make sure that the individual that comprised the United States would be protected, ultimately, from absolute rule of the government. To making sure that individual rights and freedoms were established and part and central to the constitution. This was a marked change in how major powers and governments ran. This was a great departure from the idea of class based systems that characterized all of uh, Europe and most of the world at the time. This was more and more about the individual and the individual rights and freedoms associated with that. Now, I must say, given the times, This was a hard thing for the United States of America to live up to. But that constitution, that piece of paper, beginning with we the people, signaled to European countries and the entire world that the United States of America was a place where at the very essence, the individual would be respected. This notion for equality and justice for all was a philosophical change and that there would be fair and just treatment before a court for the, the, that individual. It was an ideal that actually made its way into a piece of paper that is the Constitution of the United States. It's a groundbreaking piece of work that changes completely the tra- trajectory of many European powers at that time. Suddenly, the individual was not... At the whim and the mercy of the government, the individual had rights and freedoms protected on the basis of them being a citizen of the country. Again, a marked shift from how governments were operated uh, at that time. But you see that ideal, that ideal of protecting the individual, the ideal of equality for all, justice for all, fair and just treatment. Well, that's an ideal, And ultimately, government institutions, they're run by human beings littered and filled with their own bias, their own upbringing, their own stereotypes, that achieving that ideal of equality and justice for all, while noble, the United States still to this day struggles with. And this leads me into the anger that a lot of people face and feel in the United States of America. Um, people who believe that the Constitution is an incredible piece of work, yet there still is a lack of equality. You know, not everybody's treated the same way before the law. At least that's the sentiment from many. The idea that, you know, a black man walking the streets at night with a hoodie on could be attacked for any number of reasons. And it's not just Uh, what we see in the news is not just, you know, um, the tragic cases of Trayvon Martin and George Floyd, which I'll get into in a moment, but it's also the other types of racism that a lot of people experience that again, they don't talk about, you know, it's being denied a job by, because of who you are, whether you're a transgendered person, a black person, a woman, you know, if you have an accent, if you're a new immigrant, you have an accent, um, you know, their people tend to look and treat you a certain way. Um, if you, uh, you know, if you have a hard time keeping up at work because you're a new immigrant and you have a very thick accent from where you're from, and you know, th- there's all types of un, uh, all types of hidden racism that people show. So again. It goes back to the ideal of what the United States of America is founded on, which is equality and justice for all and the protection of the individual rights and freedoms. Well, if you have experienced racism in some of the institutions that are supposed to embody this, this feeling of equality and justice for all, well, you might not want to bring it up. You might not want to talk about racism more broadly. You might not want to talk about what you've experienced and your own personal experiences. You might want to keep that to yourself because it's hard for you to talk about it. And when you do talk about it, you risk other people rolling their eyes, not believing you, not thinking that this is true because they've never experienced it. So for all of those things, there builds up this anger inside many people who by all intents and purposes, our citizens of the United States, believe in the Constitution, want fairness, want justice, want equality, and in their own perspective, they just feel that that's not happening. And so, because we're human beings, and because we're prone to be flawed, and we're also prone to stereotypes and having bias, that's just the fact of being a human being. You know, we all use stereotypes in terms of how we understand this world. It's when we allow the stereotypes to uh, determine our actions, uh, that's when it becomes very problematic. So we see stereotypes and bias fill in to policing neighborhoods, fill in to uh, spill over into hiring practices We see stereotypes spill over in terms of how we interact with people with accents and people of uh, various visible minority backgrounds that we just really can't uh, determine where they're from, but oh, you know, they, they speak a certain way and they talk a certain way and I don't, you know, we talk to them. We allow our stereotypes to override our ability to see them as individuals, which is what is in the constitution. Instead, we see them as somebody struggling with the English language, struggling to keep up, somebody who may not be capable of succeeding in your business if you're a business owner. And so that's where stereotypes happen. And again, that goes back to that anger, because there's a lot of people in the United States who are not part of that class who feel that they've been stereotyped against, that they, the law doesn't apply to them, or that a different set of rules applies to them. And so we have tragedies like Trayvon Martin, like George Floyd, like the list goes on and on and on and on of black men, people of color, who have had a different set of laws applied to them. That who have been on the front lines of the effects of stereotype and bias, who have had their lives taken from them, because the police officer allowed stereotypes and bias to enter into how they policed this individual. You know, this is the result of when the theory of equality and justice for all is not routinely, routinely put into practice and guarded, and guarded most effectively. By members that enact the law, like police officers, like security guards, like state police officers, like the military, when the government doesn't enact equality and justice for all the tenets of the United States Constitution. That's when anger happens. That's when uh, feelings of helplessness and hopelessness begin. And that's when stereotypes, and bias, when left unchecked, can lead to such negative, negative outcomes. Now, I don't want to go into the George Floyd incident in specific detail because, quite frankly, it's very challenging for me to talk about it. You know, it's challenging for me to watch the video. I don't think I've watched the full video. It's just been really hard to actually consume it. Um, And I've read reports about the officer having... A previous history of uh, very aggressive behavior towards um, black, uh, black people. So I don't want to talk about the specifics, but what I do want to talk about is the reality of when left unchecked, these things unfortunately can happen. Not that that says that they will happen, but that they can happen. So how do we get back to that ideal of equality and justice for all? How do we put some type of action plan together to make sure that this doesn't happen again. You know, how, do we, how do we move from this and not let George Floyd's uh, life and times and death go for nothing? How do we move in the right direction? I, I don't know, but I've thought about this. And I understand the real importance of policing, but I also understand the, the very critical role policing has to community. And community and policing are very important. Now, I want to believe that, you know, we can not completely eliminate stereotypes and bias and racism. I don't think we can ever do that. So long as there's human beings, there will be stereotypes, bias, racism, prejudice, classism. That will unfortunately be a reality of future human societies. But I do think that we can figure out ways to not allow this to bleed into the places of authority where the where we rely on the state. And so community outreach for me is very important in policing. Maybe instead of graduating from the academy and being provided a gun and a badge and a uniform, you know, maybe maybe there's the ability for police officers to spend a practicum of months or years volunteering in the communities in which they're going to police. So, you know, whether it's, you know, coaching a rec league for for youth in the community, whether it's, you know, volunteering at churches and other places of worship, whether it's, you know, working with community organizations in the community to understand the, the demographics, the makeup, the average incomes, where people typically work. Um, what, uh, you know, what are the family situations like? What are the specific issues? Are there high, higher rates of suicide, higher drug and alcohol abuse? You know, when you take somebody who's not from the area and you tell them police the area, despite their training in the academy, policing is very much a community-driven vocation. People need to be telling you what's happening in the community so you can be more effective at policing. And people won't just tell you that unless there's a trust there. I won't call up a police officer talking about recent break and enters. Well, I would, obviously, if I saw it. But my point here is that I wouldn't give up information about myself or others in the community in which I live unless I felt I trusted that police officer. Did I know that person? Did I feel some type of connection to that person? And, you know, there will be obviously people in the community that will always distrust you because of their experiences with the police. But I think as the police officer, your job is to break that down and to show that you are enacting, ultimately you're enacting the principles of the Constitution. And I know that's a lot of responsibility to put on police officers, but maybe that that's a way where we can, you know, build that human to human contact so that police officers don't look at a beat in an area as, you know, riddled with crime and riddled with drugs and riddled with violence, but they look at it as individuals, as people living in this area who want the same things that we all want, health, prosperity, a better future for their children that they had, um, and uh, security from whatever happens to the economy moving forward. That's what we all want on some level. So... I think maybe that could be a way, you know, doing some type of outreach and volunteering before you actually become a police officer. Because I do think that after that practicum, maybe, just maybe some police officers or or potential police officers might realize this just isn't for them. You know, that, you know, community outreach just isn't for, it's not in their cards. And they'd much rather be, you know, In the office, they might much rather be, you know, in another area of the police force or services that, you know, may not be on the front line working a beat. I don't know. Again, this is just me spewing off solutions without really thinking it through. But that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, we need that community contact. And the reason why I say that is because when you volunteer with any organization, it doesn't have to be with community-based organizations in, you know, the inner city or wherever, but when you volunteer with places of worship when you volunteer with homeless shelters, when you volunteer with soup kitchens, your perspective on things, whatever you assumed before, it radically, and I mean radically changes. It changes completely. You're, the way in which you interact with um, the people that frequent those organizations, they change. And rightfully so, because you would never know what you don't know. It's a blind spot. And so, you know, you may not know all the good work that your local religious organization's doing. You may not know all the good work that a soup kitchen's doing. You may not know all the interesting stories that the patrons of these places have and want to share with somebody like yourself and others. So all I'm saying is that I think a solution could be more community outreach with police officers as part of their training, Um and that's what Strong and Free is all about here. And it's about finding these conversations. Because you turn on the news and, or you, you Google George Floyd and just very traumatic things are being shared. And I, I personally can't, I don't have the emotional ability to um, uh, fully have that conversation or, or experience that just yet. You know, it's hard for me to even speak about it, as you could probably tell, because I just can't, I can't, my emotions would just get over me and it would just be too much. So I don't want to Google it. I don't want to search for it. And it's not out of ignorance. It's because I I want this conversation to be solutions driven. Yes, we have a right to be angry. We have a right to feel anger that the United States government, through the Minneapolis police force, did not enact the tenets, the the pillars of the U.S. Constitution, what the country prides itself on. And a life was lost needlessly behind this. And so, where do we go from here? We have to make sure, and all levels of government needs to make sure, that the Constitution needs to be upheld. Equality and justice for all. We the people, that's that's what the country should strive for. And when it doesn't, people need to be held responsible and accountable. And we need to come out of this with solutions. The last thing we want is for another life to be lost, anger to overtake us, protests to fill our streets, looting and killing and violence to be enacted on uh, storefronts that, you know, have no connection to what exactly happened. We need to be focused on how we can move the conversation forward how we can be solutions-driven, how we can find potential solutions to some of the world's greatest problems. We all have that capacity. We all have that energy inside of us. I want Strong and Free to tap into that energy that we have, that you have, that all of us have, so that we can build a better future together. Those are my thoughts. I believe this is such a critical discussion. And I I really hope coming out of this, we can find the people to talk to here at Strong and Free to continue this conversation, to see if the idea of community outreach could be possible, to see if um, more can be done for police officers before they start patrolling. I don't know. It's just a thought. And these conversations aren't always going to be comfortable. They're going to be awkward sometimes. You may not agree with what's being proposed. I may not agree with what's being proposed. But we need to have them. The worst thing we can do is stopping any conversation with each other, even when we disagree. That'll do it for me. That's all I want to say about this for now. This deserves so much more justice in terms of a longer podcast with more guests that are much more knowledgeable, about what can be done than myself, but uh, tell me if you like this episode. I really appreciate your thoughts. This is such an important conversation and, and please keep the conversation going. Please, I think it's very important that we keep talking. Thank you, everyone. Stay balanced, stay informed. I'll catch you in the next one.